Hey there, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge, your hyper-local progressive podcast. I'm Dan, and today we have an extra special, extra unique episode. We've long admired Hay Ridge, a progressive blog about the neighborhood, and its editor, Henry Stewart's excellent historical analyses of the neighborhood. So, we decided to partner up and join forces, combining Henry's deep historical research with our unique audio format by creating, as far as we know, Bayridge's first audio walking tour. We walked through Owl's Head Park with Henry in the fall of 2018 to dig into the historical figures that occupied the park. You'll stand right where the order to build the Brooklyn Bridge was signed. Learn about oddly mustachioed sandstone sculptures and a grand castle-like tower. You'll learn about weapons arsenals, political revenge via street pavings, burned hot dog stands, and gangland shootings. And of course, you'll learn why the heck is it actually called Owl's Head when it is pretty much just a quarter of a circle. The tour lasts approximately 14 minutes and does contain some mild language and a few deaths, so if you're listening with youngsters, make sure they can handle reminiscences of the bad old days. We also have a handy map you can use to navigate the needed stops along the route, which is available at RadioFreeBayRidge.org slash Owls-Head-Tour. We've also provided a link in the episode description for you. So, while you can clearly listen to this podcast anywhere, we highly encourage you to head on down to Owl's Head Park, or Bliss Park if you prefer, specifically the original and primary entrance to the land on 67th Street and Colonial Road. Once there, go ahead and continue on with this episode, a historic walking tour of Owl's Head Park. Without further ado, here's Henry. Hi, I'm Henry Stewart, and welcome to a historical walking tour of Owl's Head Park. You'll want to enter the park at the entrance at uh, 67th Street and Colonial Road. Walk into the park right there and just find a spot where you can stand still and you're not in anybody's way, and we can get started. So, prior to the 17th century, this entire area was home to the Nyacks. They were a local tribe of the Lenape, settled mostly by Fort Hamilton Army Base. Though I did come across at least one article that said some bones and artifacts were found here in the park. It's very possible that that's not quite true, but it could also be that this was used as a cemetery, and why not? It's certainly one of the most beautiful pieces of land in Brooklyn, a sense of which you can get standing on the hill and squinting so you can't quite see the highway, the wastewater treatment plant, or the development in the far off Staten Island Hills. Once the Dutch came here, this land was owned by many. It was used as farmland. It would have been just a corner of much larger estates. But its first important owner who starts to transform it into the Owl's Head Park that we know today is Henry Murphy. He was sort of a founding father of modern Brooklyn. But he only owned a small piece of this from about 67th Street to Senator Street, from Shore Road all the way back to 3rd Avenue. South of him, there was land owned by J. Everett Tracy, to the north, Theodore Sedgwick, um, and to the north of him, Michael Bergen. And that's where we get, obviously, the names for the nearby streets, Sedgwick Place and Bergen Place. Murphy's the one who named it Owl's Head. There was already a place in Bay Ridge called Owl's Head. It was on Shore Road between about 80th and 81st Streets, just about where the flagpole to Dewey is and the highway overpass. It belonged to the Van Brunt family, and they had named it because the land jutted out. It had two coves on either side, sort of like a, a raptor's head and its outstretched wings. And this was prominently noted on maps. It was well known by nautical men, fishermen, locals. There's, there's no doubt about this. What we don't know is why Murphy took the name, whether it was just an accident, whether somebody told him 
his land was called Owl's Head and then he just stuck by it, or whether it was malicious, an attempt to wrest it for himself, although that seems unlikely. It's said that the Murphys and the Van Brunts were friendly. But all sorts of stories later emerged from Murphy and his partisans as to the origin of the name that the Native Americans had called this land Owl's Head, that there was a barn full of owls on the land, that the name came from these stone posts with owls carved on them that marked the entrance rather than the other way around. All of that is bullshit. So let's head to our second stop. Um, if you've just walked in and you're facing the hill, you want to go to your left, south, towards 68th Street. Take the path so it brings you around to the front of that brick building is a comfort station. If you want to hit pause and start walking and hit play when you get there. Yeah, so you want to be sort of anywhere near uh, those bathrooms right now. Murphy built his mansion here in 1856. It was decades before Bay Ridge would become even a part of Brooklyn, let alone a part of New York City. Murphy, like I said, was like a founding father of modern Brooklyn. He was the mayor before Brooklyn was a borough. He was a congressman. He was an ambassador to the Netherlands where he found and translated ancient Dutch documents of Brooklyn history. He co-founded the Brooklyn Eagle and served as its editor. He co-founded the Brooklyn Historical Society. But he's remembered best as a state senator, in which capacity he wrote the bill to build the Brooklyn Bridge after being convinced by colleagues who had rushed to his Owl's Head mansion on a frigid night in 1866 to advocate for its necessity. Senator Street is named in his honor. In 1881, Eliphalet Williams Bliss bought the estate, and Murphy died the next year. Bliss was a Brooklyn-based manufacturer, a pioneer of mass production, first of things like cans, eventually of things like munitions, off of which he made a fortune, spreading out into other industries like railroads, gas fixtures, trust companies. Bliss turned Murphy's attractive Owl's Head property into a grand estate. He bought dozens of surrounding acres from Tracy, Sedgwick, Bergen. He grew the property several fold, all the way back to Third Avenue. And at the time, many of the streets that we have today would have been envisioned, planned, drawn onto maps. A few had actually opened. They hadn't been cut, graded, certainly not paved. Third Avenue, which has always been a relatively major thoroughfare, wasn't paved for about 25 years after Bliss bought this land. In the 19th century, most of Bay Ridge was still countryside and farmland. It sort of looked like this. Maybe not as hilly, but just a giant park with occasional homes and roads, fields, wooden fences, livestock. There was no reason that this land couldn't have been developed like so much else was. There are planning maps from the turn of the century you can look at where there is no Owlshead Park. It's all cut through by a grid of streets and could have become a jumble of apartment buildings and private residences. And there's a path right in front of the comfort station. You're going to want to take that toward the water. Once you go a little ways, you'll see that it splits off into three different directions. You want to head right. That's going to take you up and around the hill. But before you get to the top several yards, you're going to see that you can make a sharp left. If you take that path and stop just past the bench that's there at the corner, you'll be at stop three. So if you want to hit pause and start walking and hit play when you get there. So if you found stop three, <laughs> which I know was complicated, you will be looking at the water from behind uh, several trees and benches. If you look to your right instead, you will see just about where the Bliss house was. Bliss had enclosed about 50 acres, slightly more than the park today, from Shore Road to First Avenue, 68th Street to Wakeman Place, and he made great improvements. He built a winding drive. He built stables that cost six times the average brownstone to build. He had greenhouses and an observation tower that looked like a European ruin, this gorgeous stone pillar. His gates were discovered and reinstalled at the entrance to the park in 2002, and they have his initials, EWB. The restrooms that we passed before, that's about where Bliss's greenhouses were. 
as you climb up that path, there would have been these whimsical sandstone sculptures of little men with mustaches and yeah, very strange taste. So right here on your right is where Bliss's house would have been. And just beyond that would have been his observation tower. These trees that sort of block your view of the narrows wouldn't have been there. And he would have had this wide open panoramic view of Jersey and Staten Island and Manhattan. As Bliss's estate reached its prime in the mid-1890s, Bay Ridge was approaching a turning point. Development was about to take off post-1899 when the first serious plans for a 4th Avenue subway emerged. It wasn't built until 1916, but in the interim, there was sort of a, a building boom in Bay Ridge. Two competing forces pulled at the Bliss estate. The developers, who wanted to cut roads through it, cut it into lots and build homes or apartments here, and the preservationists, who wanted to preserve it as parkland, which... Anyways, valuable amenity for developers. So now if you look to your left, you can see Narrows Avenue. In 1888, the idea of extending Narrows Avenue through Bliss's property to the other end of it was proposed, and Bliss gave local officials a personal tour of his property to show them that it wasn't necessary. He said they took five minutes to agree with him. He had to do it again in 1893 because it had come up again, likely because he criticized the local public official who did it out of spite. You're going to want to continue down the path that you had started on before, uh, walking toward the water right as you get to the crest of this little hill in the rear of Owl's Head Park here. And if you want to hit pause now, uh, get to the next destination and then hit play again. The idea for a park is at least as old as 1894, which was around the same time that city planners had been envisioning the Bay Ridge Parkway system. It's sort of a combination of Leif Erikson Park today and Shore Road. Would have started at Fort Hamilton Parkway, come down 67th Street all the way to Shore Road, curved around the Bliss property, and continued all the way to the Fort Hamilton Army Base and Cannonball Park. Uh, it was this original concept of sort of a vast network of interlocking parks in Bay Ridge, of which Owl's Head Park would have been Park. The original ideas for the park would have preserved the Bliss buildings. They'd imagine the house as a restaurant, say, a place for dancing, cocktails, the, the paths would have been used for carriage rides and so on. Bliss was partial to the idea of preserving his estate, but if you've ever heard that he donated the land after he died, he didn't. He thought that idea was absurd because the land was worth almost $29 million in today's dollars. But he was willing to sell to the city for a fair price, as long as it was with the promise of preservation and park. Say... $500,000, but the city wouldn't give him more than $450,000. And this relatively minor difference was in hindsight huge. It delayed creation of the park for decades and, and caused bits of land to be lost. In 1898, for example, the Edison Power Plant opened on the coast there where the wastewater treatment plant is today, establishing industry on the Bay Ridge waterfront. The land beyond First Avenue was divided into lots and sold and developed into housing. Decades were spent moving the park plant forward, then pulling it back earmarking funds and taking them away. Experts were paid thousands of dollars, but the plans went nowhere. The land was put on maps, then taken off of maps. It was put up for sale, then taken down for sale. Advocates scrambled to think of uses, uh, new piers to accommodate massive passenger craft, a monument to Native Americans, playgrounds to discourage juvenile delinquency. Bliss died in 1903. The city continued to dally, dealing with his heirs. In 1911, Bliss's daughter, Mrs. Lane, opened the grounds one day to the public who turned out in droves. Locals, of course, knew the land as the Bliss families, and that's why many locals even today still call the park by its unofficial name, Bliss Park. In 1915, having run out of room for a new factory at 59th Street before the Army Terminal was there, 
the EW Bliss Company started storing munitions on the edge of the Owlshead Estate in 10 new well-guarded storehouses. The Eagle called it the Bliss Arsenal, and locals were furious about it, though there was little legal recourse. I don't know the resolution of that story, but presumably space was found, made, or discovered, because today there is no arsenal here. We can start walking again. If you're at the top of the hill looking out at the pier, head to your right and follow this path along the edge of the hill. You'll discover here a plaza-like area. And if you want to just kind of stand in the middle of that. So it took until 1924 for the city to finally agree to buy the land. After negotiations with Bliss's heirs, they agreed to $900,000, which was less than its worth of $1.5 million. Um, which the city would have had to pay by, say, taking it by eminent domain. But the cost alone was all the investment that the city would make. The unimproved park opened in 1928. The Depression hit in 1929. In 1932, loose sand on a hillside along 68th Street collapsed, suffocating a boy from PS 102 named Carl True. That same year, the neglected Murphy Bliss Mansion was finally knocked down. The tower was knocked down around the same time. The stables were knocked down in 1940. In the mid to late 1930s, then Parks Commissioner Robert Moses started to give attention to the park. He was not a sentimental or old-fashioned man. So he had the old buildings torn down, but he did invest in Owl's Head. He gave us the restrooms, the playing fields, the trails. And this was around the same time that he was building the Belt Parkway, which now curves around the park's perimeter. Here where we're standing at the lookout, back then this would have been the climax of the park, a climb up the magnificent hill to get a magnificent view of the water beyond that's now completely obscured by trees. So we can keep walking. If you're in the middle of this sort of lookout plaza here, looking out toward the water, turn around and walk back toward the grand, magnificent hill. Things in the park went downhill in the 60s and 70s. Um, in the 1960s, a future U.S. attorney said he witnessed a gangland killing from the window of his social studies classroom at Severian, and days later found the corpse dumped by the mob on the basketball courts here. That's a story cited in wise guy the book that they based goodfellas on the park was popular with drug dealers too trash pickup was cut meaning more for miscreants to toss around a shack that sold hot dogs and ice cream right around here at the top of the hill was burned down the grass wasn't cut the benches were unusable the low point was probably in 1974 when a 17 year old fort hamilton high school junior leonard Corey, was shot in the head near the water fountain by the bathrooms in a mug and gone wrong his body left laying next to his english racing bicycle but things improved. In the 1990s, those playgrounds were rebuilt. The paths were repaved. Police patrols cracked down on late night drinking and drug use. The dog park was built and recently redone. In the year 2000, the skateboard park opened just about where Bliss's Grand Stables once stood. Now, if you're standing at the top of the hill, staring out here, you can see OLPH and Sunset Park. 60th Street and 5th Avenue in the distance. You can see the Bay Ridge Towers. You just get a real sense of the majesty of this land, the appeal that it had to Murphy, to Bliss, to everybody who's visited the park in the last 100 years. That's the end of the tour. Thanks for listening. Take some time, enjoy the rest of the park, explore a little, get to know it on your own. If you want to learn more about Bay Ridge history, I've written a book called True Crime Bay Ridge. 11 stories of murder and kidnapping, all set in the neighborhood from the 19th century up until the 1950s. You can also visit the blog Hey Ridge, where I often write about local history. Most recently, an in-depth look at the history of Leif Erikson Park. Thanks again, Henry. Remember to check out Hey Ridge and follow it on Facebook or Twitter at HeyRidgeBK. 
Hayridge has multiple other contributors covering everything from social justice to transportation, so they're always worth a look. And by the way, how'd you like the tour? Let us know with a review online, and let us know on Facebook or Twitter and Instagram, where you can find us at at RadioFreeBR. Should we do more walking tours? What places or subjects around Bay Ridge would most interest you? Let us know, and as always, until next time, stay free, Bay Ridge. Mm-hmm.